Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Hey, well, if you have your Bibles, won't you go with me over to Luke chapter 5, and we're going um, to unpack some thoughts from there. We're in this collection of talks called God at Work, God at Work, and really we're just talking about how God doesn't want to just be God of the, the church environment, your Sunday, but he wants to be with you in every part of your life. He wants to be with you not just on Sunday for an hour and hour and a half. He wants to be with you on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. Specifically, we're talking about how God wants to be a part of your work life. And last week, we really talked a lot about how there really, in God's view of your work, there really is no, there's no divide between sacred and secular work. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you're a follower of Jesus, when you invite God into your workplace, your work becomes sacred and special. And that God wants to use you not just to make money for yourself, while that's great, and we hope you're successful and you're blessed and you're prosperous and all that, but God wants to use you at your workplace for more than just making money. He wants to use you to make a difference and to to carry his kingdom, his culture inside of your workplace and to be a blessing. And, and even if no one comes to faith in Christ in your workplace, if you're there and you make it better and brighter, then you did something phenomenal in the kingdom of God. We believe that with all of our heart. And so we talked about that last week for a little bit about how your work matters. We said this one big statement. We said, your work matters to God and God matters to your work. And if you weren't here last week, you didn't get to check that out. Go to the podcast or go to our YouTube channel and, and, uh, and watch that. Matter of fact, I got an email this week that said that there was a group of folks over at Apple that gathered a, a group together and they watched our, our service from last week or our message from last week to, to have a discussion about God at work. Isn't that great to see how God is using not just Sunday morning, but it's, it's, it's dipping into people's workplace. And so... Anyway, today we're going to continue our conversation. I'm excited about next week. You're not going to want to miss next, next week. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's going to be really good. Uh, and uh, so anyway, make sure you're here. Don't go to Tahoe. Uh, <clears throat> and so, uh, so hang out here uh, next week, and you're going to really enjoy it. But Luke chapter 5, we're going to break that down in just a moment. Um, but last week we talked about this text. We used Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, the creation account, the very first time we see God at work. And we talked about in the creation account when God was at work creating uh, this, this world that we know. He created a specific place called Eden, the Garden of Eden. And uh, in that creation account, he was at work for six days. And, and then he, cre- you know, he created man and, and woman. And then he placed them in the middle of the garden. And then he, he gave them an assignment. The very first thing he told them to do was to work. Uh, it wasn't to worship him, which, by the way, as you begin to study the etymology of, of the word work in the scriptures, when you look in Hebrew, um, I think the word is like avad or something like that. But it, it actually, throughout scripture, it's work, service, and worship. They're interchangeable. And so when God calls us to work, it's actually he's calling us to worship. And that your workstation becomes a place of work, uh, worship for the Lord. Your workplace becomes your place of worship. And so God places Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the middle of the garden, and he says this, he goes, guys, I want to partner with you to work. And here's what the work is. I want you to take what I've already created, this place and space called Eden, 
that is beautiful, this little corner of the world. I want you to take it, and I want you to actually expand on Eden. I want you to build out Eden. I want you to, to name the animals, and I want you to fill the earth. Do you know that Eden was never supposed to stay just that one little plot of land? Look over at Revelations 22. At the very end of scriptures, the end of, of the world as we know it, the Bible says that, that it's kind of coming full circle and that there will be a garden city. It will be the new Jerusalem that will come down. And the picture that's painted in Revelations 22 is actually, it's an expansion of Genesis 1 and 2. And so what it tells us is that Eden was never supposed to stay in Genesis 1 and 2, but man's responsibility was to partner with God to work, to build culture, to make culture, and to build out Eden till it would expand to be this garden city. And that's what the Bible says. It'll all wrap up in the end. But here's, as I begin to think about this, I think it's so amazing the creation account that we have in Scripture of God at work. Because it's not the only creation account that you, that you see when you begin to look through history. When you look through history in the ancient East and Mesopotamia, there was actually about a dozen of creation accounts. Um, and they were, they were basically false gods and other religions that had their own accounts of creation. Uh, most of them were pretty similar, and it, and it sounded like this. You can study it when you get a chance. And it's so contrast uh, to, to the scriptures that we have and the account that we have. Uh, the other accounts go like this, that um, there were all these gods that were working uh, in the world, and they just hated their work. It was drudgery. It was like, it was like they're just so frustrated. They're just tired of working. They want to sit back, be at ease, and they want to eat and drink and be merry. And so they begin to complain to the king of the gods. And uh, in this one particular account, his name was Murdoch. If your name is Murdoch, then sorry about that. But um, the, 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 the lowercase g gods begin to complain to the king of the gods. They said, we're tired of work. We hate work. Can you come up with some plan for us? And so the plan from the king of the gods, the god of gods, was this. How about we make humans and we'll outsource our labor? Because we hate it, we'll give it to them. And we'll make slaves to do our work so that we can be at ease. Now contrast this with the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of Israel, now the God of the church, the God of this church. God, unlike the other gods, the picture that we have is that God actually enjoyed work. Remember every single time he created something, he says, and he saw that it was good. God enjoyed work. He loved work. See, work is not meant to be just endured and it's just like I'm doing this for a paycheck or a means to an end. God wants us to find fulfillment and satisfaction in our job. And God, he found enjoyment and satisfaction and fulfillment. It was this amazing thing. And then, and, and unlike the other gods, the other gods said, we hate our work. Now we're going to outsource it to slaves. God says, I'm going to create mankind. Because I love my work so much, I want to partner with them and them share in this joy. And I want to be in partnership with them. See, the other gods made slaves. God made partners. God wanted to be in partnership with you. God wanted to be in partnership with me. And what is that partnership Four. Last week we talked about it. It's essentially this. If I put it down and synthesized it and distilled it into a small phrase, it's this. It's to make culture. Did you know that creating the arts and building out business and starting companies, when it's done unto the glory of God, it's actually an expansion of creation. It is you building upon the foundation of God. God's laid this foundation, and when you and I, when, if we're a teacher, if we're working the postal service, listen, if it, whatever it may be, if it's in social work, whatever it is that you do, if you do it unto the glory of God in partnership with him, then you're actually doing what you were created to do. You're making culture. You're making culture. I have a lot to say today, so I may not pause for your hand claps, but feel free. <laughs> feel free to clap as you feel like it. 
But so the Genesis 1 and 2 account, the great commission according to creation was to make culture. Fast forward it, though, is that God never stops his partnership. Though humanity went awry by sin, sin entered the world. We said this last week, sin entered the world, death entered the world, and then death entered the work. And that's why we feel so frustrated with work sometimes. But God sends his son, Jesus. Jesus comes down and he, he lives a perfect life. He goes to a cross. He, he does the, the perfect work of salvation for us that we cannot do for ourselves. He does it for us so that we could be reconciled with God and we could then join again in a partnership with him to do this new commission. It's to make disciples. So it goes from Genesis 1 and 2, making culture, to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, making disciples. But may I submit to you that we don't abandon the first just to do the second. We actually continue in both. There's many churches that are so out of balance, they've abandoned the culture and said, that's not anything that God's concerned with. Let's just make disciples. And there's other people that are so involved in culture and doing all this, but they've abandoned the great commission of making disciples. And the Bible calls us, Scripture calls us to do both. I think a balanced Christian is when you understand that your work that God's placed you in is for you to make it better and brighter and to, to make culture and to create beautiful art and to build business and commerce and all those things, but also where you understand that there's another call. And that it is to make disciples. If you're a Christian, listen, the, the, the true test or the true proof of your maturity is not your church attendance, but it is your ability to reproduce yourself. That is the, the true proof of maturity, is that you can reproduce. Is that you can reproduce who you are. And if you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus, then here's what essentially you said when you said yes to Jesus. You said yes to the call to reproduce yourself and to create or to make more followers of Jesus. Now, so we're going to dig into this just a little bit, partnering with God. Last week, we talked about really the making culture part. Today, I want to start the conversation about making disciples. Now, this is where it gets really weird, right? When you start talking about integrating your witness with your work, that's where it's like, oh, but I don't want to be that Christian. You know, the Christian at your work that's got the T-shirt, weird. The Christian that's got the, you know, it's so funny. In my notes, it said the Christian mug. We actually have a Christian mug. You got the Christian mug, you got the Christian t-shirt, and then you know, you know the, the Christians that they feel like, I'm going to be bold, I'm going to put my Bible on my desk. Woo, revival is about to break out. Revival is going to break out. Got the, got the, got the mug, got the t-shirt, got the... Here's the thing. We're going to talk for a little bit today, and my goal is not to, not to encourage you to go be weird Christians in your workplace, okay? We don't want that. We don't want, we don't need... We don't need any more weird Christians. Can somebody say amen? amen. We, we, need, we do need a witness, but we don't need weird witnesses, right? Witness is simply, a witness is simply testifying to something or to someone. I just want to submit this idea to you that we cannot separate our work from our witness. We can't. They, they, they are integrated by nature. And I, I want to unpack a story in Luke chapter 5 and just give you a couple principles and a couple of thoughts. Uh, and this will set us up even for next week, which, again, don't miss it. It's going to be good. But here's one thing I do want to say before I dig into Luke chapter 5. Here's one of the reasons why uh, you and I as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we cannot and we should not um, keep our witness from our work. Here's why. Because when you and I keep our witness from our work, really it calls into question our integrity. And our authenticity. See, integrity comes from the word integer. It's a mathematical term, right? It's a mathematical word, which means what? Whole. 
And so if Christianity and our relationship with Jesus is a central part of who we are, if it makes up who we are as a person and we leave that part on Sunday morning or we leave that part of us at home, then we're not bringing the whole of ourself to work. And there's no integrity in who we are. Now, that's not to beat you down. I've done it before. But today my goal is to stir you up a bit, to stir you up just a little bit to where you say, you know what? My, my, my work affects my witness and my witness affects my work. Therefore, I will not separate the two. I will, I will walk boldly, confidently, and humbly in my workplace being used by God. So you ready for this? Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 5. Let's, let's go to this for just a moment. I'm sorry, I hate to say this, but uh, could, you, could you turn this off? It's like flashing down here. Thank you so much. Um, love you guys back there that do all the hard work for us. But here we go. Um, sorry. Luke chapter 5. They're going to put this on the screen for you really quick. Luke 5. Here's, here's the story. I love this particular story because uh, this, is, this is the story of God at work. Uh, that's found right in the middle of the Gospels, and it's, it's really, it's, it's God in the form of Jesus, right, made flesh, is Jesus partnering with a local businessman named Simon, and Simon up until this point that we see in this particular story, he's not really had any success at work, uh, kind of had a failure of a, of a day at work, like the sales aren't up type thing, and uh, he meets Jesus, and this one encounter with Jesus, it changes the trajectory of his career. And, um, and, and it's so amazing because at this point in Luke 5, if you rewind, you see that in Luke 4, Jesus starts his ministry. It's where he's in the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, the heal the brokenhearted, set the captive free, open the eyes of the blind, to declare the favorable year of the Lord. And then that starts his ministry. And then he starts going from synagogue to synagogue or church building to church building, the sacred spaces, teaching and preaching. But Jesus, I love Jesus. He's like, we can't keep this inside the walls of a building. Let's get out where the people are at. I love that about Jesus. Unfortunately, many churches don't have that same philosophy. But Jesus gets outside of the synagogues, and he starts going around, and he starts just ministering to people right where they're at. Right with that, their workplace, in the fields, on the mountainside, tending sheep. He's just going everywhere, and he's teaching people the scriptures. He's feeding people. He's adding value to people. He's calling the best out of people, championing people and their potential. I mean, Jesus is doing all these amazing things. And as you can imagine, because he's going around doing this, adding value to people, his influence starts growing. Crowds start gathering, and people actually want to hear what Jesus has to say, and it's from this moment where we find Jesus on one of these little sides of a ridge at the Sea of Galilee, and a crowd begins to gather, and he partners with a local fisherman named Simon. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, Jesus, Lord, how mercy, it's Sea of Galilee is what that is, okay, people? I don't know why my scripture said that, but there's three different names for it, but we'll go with Sea of Galilee because I can't pronounce the other one. Uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So the people already there, they're listening to Jesus. And so Jesus, he saw at the water's edge, two boats. I love how Luke gives that little detail. Luke is a doctor. He always gives us details for some reason. We'll try to decode that in a moment. But Jesus sees two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets, which means that they had been fishing all night. Most of the time at the Sea of Galilee, I've been there before, they fish during the night. And whenever they come back, they begin to wash their nets and make sure that they're all together and in place for the next catch, for the next fish. Uh, verse 3 says, he got into one of their boats. So he jumps into one of the boats. He gets into the cubicle, 
with one of the guys, right? He gets into his workspace, all up in his space. How many of you have those people at your work that they just, they just get all in your workspace? You're like, get out of my space. Jesus is all up in this brother's space right here. It says, he gets into the boat, uh, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Rabbis, when they would teach, they would take a seat rather than standing up. That's why I got my seat up here. Just saying. Um, when he had finished speaking, he said this to Simon. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a uh, large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled, the, filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Uh, for he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Verse 10, and we'll finish here. And so were James and John, says the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on. You will fish for people. You will fish for people. This is the beginning of Peter, the, really the, the, the rock that this whole thing was established from. Jesus said, Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church. This is Simon. This is the guy right here. And I love this. So I want to break it down for just a moment. The first thing that I noticed when I was studying this passage of Scripture is that, that before Jesus partners with Simon and uses his profession as a platform or a pulpit to get a witness to the people, to speak to the people... If you notice, the crowds had already gathered, and, and, and Jesus was already speaking to them. Which, here's the first thing that I really thought. This is a reminder that there may be people around us at work that God is already beginning a conversation in their heart. He's already at work in people's life. You don't have to feel the pressure to, to just be, to create a spiritual moment. God is already working in people's lives at your work. You need to believe that. Some of you are like, but you don't know who I work with. I promise you, God, through many different ways, he's working in people's lives. We're just, listen to me, we're just joining the conversation. That's all we're doing. You know, vocation, we said it last week, vocation comes from this Latin, and this old Latin and French word, uh, vocare, which means to call. When you dig a little bit deeper, it also comes from vocatio. You know what that word means? Voice. Do you know that your vocation is your voice? That your vocation, the thing that God has called you to do, that's actually your voice. That's your voice for what? For God, for his kingdom to get his message, the good news of Jesus to people. And he wants to use your voice. But make no mistake about it. Your voice is just supplementing what God is already speaking and doing in someone's heart. He's already working. I'm telling you, as I was praying about this, you need to know there's some of you, you need to know this. There are people at your work right now. God is already, through different circumstances, he's already dealing with their heart and speaking to their heart. But he needs you to come alongside and to speak into the conversation from your experience. I love this. Here's what this also tells me. That we shouldn't force our voice. We shouldn't force the witness. The crowds were already gathered. And they were willingly desiring and wanting Jesus to speak to them. This, this is amazing when it comes to your witness at work. I think a lot of times Christians feel like they got to force this. they got to force the moment. And this is where it gets weird. It's like, you know, this is so stupid. I was thinking about this. Like you walk up to someone's cubicle because you noticed that the light, you know, went out on a, at their desk. And you're like, I noticed that your light went out. Have you ever heard of the light of the world? It's like, <laughs> so you're trying to figure out how we can like force this moment. 
I just, I'm just of the opinion that I think it should be way more organic than that. It should be like you're just doing your job. You got your head down. You're doing your very best to the glory of God. And someone notices your work. They notice your ethics and your excellence. And, and your work actually can support your witness at this point now because you've actually worked so hard and so good that now you've actually lent credibility to your voice. And then they begin to, man, I'm, just, I'm about to start preaching, y'all. Y'all better back up. <clears throat> about to go in right here. And, and I think it should naturally happen where you don't have to force it, but people notice there's something different about him. Why is that? And then they, they begin to wonder, why is he so different? Why does he treat people like that? Why does he work so hard? Why does, like, why does he treat that boss that is such a jerk, but he still treats him with honor? There's something off there. They think it's off. They think it's backwards, but really it's right. And then they'll lean in and they begin to ask questions because they notice that you're different. Listen to me. You cannot make a difference unless you're different. Bottom line. Like if the culture that you're representing and you're expressing is the same as the culture of the, of the rest of the world, you'll never really make a difference. But when there's something different, when the way by which you work is so different from the people around you, not in some pious religious way, but you're just doing your very best to the glory of God and to the honor of Jesus. When you're doing your best to create a life-giving culture in your workplace and to produce the best work that's ever been seen, if you're a teacher, build the best curriculums. If you're a banker, I don't know what they do, but do the best at that. Like, <laughs> like count those Benjamins like crazy. <laughs> Just do it. Do your best. <laughs> Our witness works best. Listen to me. Your witness is the most effective. Your testimony, it's the most effective when it's welcomed and it's wanted, not when it's forced. If you try to force your witness on people, they're going to think you're just like all the other weirdos. Work hard and, and have great work ethic. You, you know, a lot of people are not, a lot of people do not, uh, they're not that effective and influential at work. It's not because they don't have good theology. It's not because they have bad theology. It's because they have bad work ethic. Like, just think about that. Like, you can have, you can know how to, like, do the Romans Road and apologetics, and you can this and that, well, you can work it, and you can know all the nuanced things of Scripture. But if you have bad work ethic or bad attitude or you freak out under stress, you have no platform to support your witness. Man, that's just good. That's just good. So then the question becomes this, because... I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this from Jesus is the person that, that has the influence in this story. It's not really so much Peter. So what was it that gave Jesus all this influence with people? What was it? I mean, you think about it. Jesus, he had a position as a rabbi. It, they would wear a certain garb, a certain robe, and so they were known as, as being a rabbi. And so rabbis had a certain level of influence. But let me tell you this. There were a lot of rabbis during Jesus' day, but they were not attracting crowds like Jesus. They were not. What was it about this rabbi that held a position that was influencing people where masses would come, thousands of people would come? I can tell you this. It wasn't because he was wearing a robe or he had the, the title on his desk. It wasn't positional. It, it was not that. It was not a title. It was something more. What was it? Think about his story. Listen, here's why the crowds are, draw, are gathering around him. Jesus showed interest in people. Jesus was not in love with the crowds. He was in love with individuals. He would lean into people. Look at how many stories. Jesus was never in a rush. He always walked slow through the crowds, and he focused on the individuals in front of him. He was interested in people. He was relational. 
Think about this. He just went around doing miracles in people's life and adding value to their life and meeting their needs and leaning into their passions. And he would feel their pain. He was a person of empathy. It was, it was all of these different things that people, they would gather around Jesus and it's, it's what garnered influence for him. And he became a leader of respect, a pinnacle leader. I begin to think about this thought because uh, I'm in a small group on Wednesday mornings where all my fellows out there in our small group, our leadership small group. Yeah, yeah. We have a leadership small group that we do on, on Wednesday mornings, 7 a.m., not for the faint at heart. Okay. <laughs> and and we're in a, a book study right now from John Maxwell called Developing the Leader Within. Developing the Leader Within. And um, and one of the things we talked about is how do you how do you as a leader, how do you build influence or garner influence at your workplace so that you can be influential? Now, now we're just talking about just having influence in work to influence change and to lead people. But I think what, what I'm about to share with you, it applies not only to leading people in your workplace and, 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 and moving product to profit and to creating a healthy culture. It also, this really works when it comes to leading people to Jesus. They're going to put this on the screen. Thank you to my boy, Nate Fox, for making this for me down here. There's five levels of leadership. Do they have that up here? Five levels of leadership. Now, start at the bottom uh, to the top. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> This is the lowest level of influence in leadership, positional. Remember, Jesus was a rabbi. Lowest level. It's based on people will follow you because, because of the, the position that you have and because of the title that you carry. But the, it really doesn't take that much work to have that. I mean, that's like the very bottom of the barrel. But people will only follow you so far with just your title and your position. You only have so much influence. Like, they're only going to do what they have to do or else they'll get fired, right? Now, I'm speaking, I'm going to speak even broader than just a person that leads a department or leads a company. This is whatever position you may be in, your position at your workplace, it loans you or lends you some level of credibility because you got the job, you're in the position, and it, it lends you some level of influence. But that's the lowest level. The second level is permission. This is when people follow you because they want to. This is relationship-based. This is when people have relationship with you and because you've shown interest in them, because you've taken time to care about what they care about and you ask them questions about their life and it's not just about work, but it's about their life. People will give you permission to lead them and to influence them and to have conversation with them. Why? Because you actually care for them. Here's the third one, production. This is like you produce. Like at work, you're known as a person that you produce high quality work. You get it done. You're that person that, like, give him the ball. Give her the ball. They're going to they're gonna score the, the, the point, right? It's that kind of a person. It's like, give them the project because we know we won't have to worry about it. They're going to get it done. They make it happen. You produce results, and you produce quality work. Because of that, you garner respect from people, and people will follow you, and, and you'll have a voice into people's life because they see that you're a great worker. That's what that's ethic. That's what that is, ethic and excellence. But then, it's, then it goes beyond that, beyond the production. It goes to people development. This is when, when you are known in your workplace for not just being about your own success and not just being about your own work, but you actually are adding value to other people and helping them succeed. You're helping them with their projects. You're lending a hand. See, see what I'm saying? It's, it's two, three, and four. Those levels, those are the ones that a lot of times Christians fail to focus on because they think if they'll just pray really hard and they'll know a bunch of scripture, they're going to be able to lead people to Jesus. But I would submit to you that you can do all that. But if you haven't done level two, three and four, you will never be able to influence people for the gospel. And so we don't really focus on the last one, which is pinnacle, which is this. People follow you because they respect you. They respect what you represent. They respect who you are. You don't have to try to be a pinnacle leader. You really just have to focus on two, three and four. When, when you and I focus on two, three and four, it actually it builds our platform 
so that we can speak into people's lives when it's welcomed and invited. I've seen this in my own life, and I have friends that I've seen this in their life. Because of the type of worker they are, their work affects their witness. And because they're a great worker, and because of the way they demonstrate the kingdom of God in their workplace, it has built influence for them in their life. Now, let me uh, keep, keep going with this right here. I love this because uh, it says this that he, let me pick up in verse number I love this. Verse number two it says that the little detail here, I love this about Luke. Luke says there were two different boats. Um, and I don't know exactly why. I'm just going to use my imagination here. But there were two different boats. He mentions both boats. He could have just mentioned one. My thought was this as I read it. I wonder if Simon was the only one willing to loan Jesus his boat. I wonder if the other guy was like, I don't mix uh, faith and fish. I, I don't mix, I don't mix like the religious church thing and work. I've got a job to do. I, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the guy's like, I don't want to mix those things up because, uh, you know, I don't want it to affect my business. I, I, I don't want people to get the weird, you know, signal like that I'm, I'm here trying to convert people at work. So I'm just going to keep, you know, Jesus, you stay on the shore and I'm going to take care of my nets. I'm going to take care of my boat. My work is mine. And Jesus, you do the church thing. I'm going to do my work thing. Let's keep these things separate. I don't know. Maybe it's because the guy with the boat said, if, if I let Jesus in my boat, um, maybe it's going to affect my promotion. Maybe it's going to affect my business. Maybe it's going to affect my reputation. I, I'm not sure. But what I do know is this, is that Simon had to be willing to invite Jesus into his boat. Now, when you back up and you read Luke chapter 4, the end of it, you understand that this is not the first time that Jesus met Simon or that Simon met Jesus. Simon has already had an interaction with Jesus. Simon's mother-in-law was sick at home, and so Jesus goes to Simon's house, and Jesus does a miracle for his mother-in-law. Now, that's kind of odd, because I'm thinking about my mother-in-law right now, and um, if Jesus did a miracle, never mind. I don't even want to go there. I love my mother-in-law. She just retired. She's amazing. But think about this. I wonder why Peter was so quick to allow Jesus to get into his boat, to come into his workplace. Could it be that Maybe he just thought, after all Jesus has done for me and my family, the least I could do is let him use my work to be a witness for his grace and his mercy. But you think about that. After all God's done in your life, is it too much for us to ask to say, God, you can have your way not just in my finances, not just in my relationships, not just with my children, not just in all these other things. God, nine-tenths nine of my life is spent at work. You can have that too. I heard one guy say, if he is not the Lord of all, he's not the Lord at all. Yeah. But God will not force his way into your work. He must be invited. It goes on, it says, and so he got into the, one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out uh, a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Um, here's, here's what I begin to really think about this moment. Get, get the picture here. Jesus gets in the boat. All we know is that it's him and Simon. He says, Simon. Let's push away from the shore just a little bit, and I'm going to teach the people. I imagine them pushing away from the shore, and Simon's doing nothing. He's just sitting there, arms crossed, and he's watching Jesus facing the crowd that's going up this ridge, creating like an amphitheater, and it's amplifying his voice. And Peter's just sitting back and watching Jesus, the words of life, touch people's hearts. I begin to think about that because I think you and I, oftentimes, we feel like this is it's, it's a little bit different. It's just the opposite. Like Jesus... He pushes us in the boat by ourselves and says, now you figure out what to say to the people. And a lot of times that paralyzes you and I because we feel like we have to have all the answers. 
We feel like we have to be able to have some amazing apologetic about all these different things, and we have to be able to answer all the questions about, you know, revelations in the millennial, and that's scripture that contradicts itself. Listen, I, I want to tell you that this story shows us that Jesus is the one that does the work. Even if, Listen to me. Even if you could explain away every nuance in scripture, and you could logically explain away God to someone, that will still never convert and change a person's heart. Only the words of Jesus can change someone's life. And so what does that tell you and I? The pressure's off. The pressure's not on you. Like you and I, we can't save people. We can't change people any more than it was some person that saved or changed you. It is a work of the Spirit, and the gospel works best when the gospel does the work. Now, the Bible does say that we should be prepared always to give a reason for the hope that we have, and we do so with respect and gentleness. A lot of times people leave that part out. So you should be able to at least explain, like, this is, this is who Jesus is, and here's what he's done in my life. Here's the difference he's made. You should be able to at least do that, but you just have to take the pressure off of yourself. You don't have to have, you don't, you don't have to be a preacher at your workplace. You just have to say, look what God has done in my life. Maybe he could do that in yours. And if they want to receive it, great. If they don't, it doesn't really matter. You did your part, but the pressure's off. You don't have to save nobody. Turn your name and say, the pressure's off. The pressure's off. He goes on, and I'll hurry up. He goes on, and he says this. He says, so after Jesus teaches, and he's a witness, he's like ministering, he's speaking into people's lives, the whole thing's done, the ministry moment's over. Jesus could easily say, okay, thanks for, thanks for, your, for your business. Thanks for providing me a little platform. Uh, can you bring it back to the shore because I'm about to go to Chick-fil-A? Like, he could have totally done that. Could have totally done that. But instead, I love Jesus. Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he says, hey, why don't you take your nets and go, go out there, go deeper and, uh, and, and throw your nets out. Like I just imagine Jesus is like, I'm about to get this dude. Like, and Simon, he responds, he goes, but you know, Jesus, like we, you know, like we, we were fishing all night long and like we didn't catch anything at all. And it's been really discouraging, had no success. Like it's been really hard, and, and, you know, I'm a fisherman, you're, you're a rabbi, you stick to the Jesus, or to the God thing, to the theology thing, I'll stick to the fish, like, I'm just, you know, like, but instead, he, this is what Simon says, because you say so, because you say so, I'll do it, because you say it, Jesus, I will, I will do what you're asking me to do, and so he goes a bit deeper, and the Bible says a miracle happens. And this amazing thing, they catch so many fish, he's got to call his partners to come over. The guy that was unwilling to let Jesus be a part, he gets, he gets blessed in this whole deal, right? Simon's like, you get over here. Their boats are about to sink. They've got so much, such, such a miracle. And I just look at that, and here's what I, what I want to encourage you with. I really believe this. When we use our business or our work to bless others, God will bless us. I just believe that. I believe that he will bless the place that he has planted you the place that you're stationed, not stuck. He will bless you if you will use it to be a blessing to other people. You'll use it to, to share the gospel with people. God will bless the place that you work if you will do that. That's the way that he works. Now, he goes on and he says this. After this huge blessing and this miracle, what is Simon's response to Jesus? He says, I'm a sinful man. And he falls on his knees. You know what he's, here's what he's saying. I don't deserve this. This is always the trick of the enemy to try to paralyze you and I from being a witness at our workplace. 
I haven't been perfect. I'm flawed. I messed up. I've made mistakes. These people that work here, they know me. You see, Simon, those guys in the boat, they knew Simon. They've heard him drop the F-bomb a lot. The Bible says they were astonished by the miracle. I think they were astonished that Jesus did the miracle for Simon. And that Simon would even use his boat, or that God would even use Simon's boat, would even bring a blessing into his life. And the enemy will always try to get you and I to focus on our flaws and our weakness and our failures and our sins and our screw-ups and all those things and say, you're disqualified and God could never use you. And I'm here to tell you, thank God for grace. If it were not for the grace of God, See, that's the picture. Simon didn't even ask Jesus to do this miracle. Jesus just did it. That's grace. God doing for you what you don't deserve, what you and I could never earn. It's something that we have, we have disqualified ourselves, and God says, I'm going to show you how good my grace is. Even though you have done something that should disqualify you, that should make you be counted out, I'm going to do a miracle in your life and through your life. And that's going to showcase to the world what the gospel is all about. This is the gospel of grace. It's not the gospel of you earn this and you deserve this. It's the gospel of grace. It goes on and says this. And so as he falls down on his knees and he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm a man of, un, you know, I'm, I'm a sinful man. Jesus responds to him. I love verse 10. Simon, don't be afraid. And I think this is at the heart of the matter for a lot of us. We struggle to connect and to integrate our work and our witness together because a lot of times we deal with fear. We can be paralyzed by it right? Fear of what are they going to think about me? Fear of this could cost me my job. Fear of this is going to cost me my influence. Maybe even fear of persecution. I've heard stories even here. I had one guy from, gosh, I'm trying to remember where he was from, from Germany that told me that, and I won't name where he works, but he works uh, down in San Jose area. He told me he has experienced more persecution here than he did in Germany as a follower of Jesus. And so maybe that is a legitimate fear. Listen, I've got an easy job. All of you, I think all of you, are Christians, right? Most of you, at least. Some of you, you're here, and we're, you know, we're thankful that you're here. But i got an easy job. i got an easy job. Like, none of you are, like, yelling at me. And if you do, we have a safety and security team. They'll take care of you. But i got an easy job. Like, you guys willingly came here. Like, you showed up. I'm quick to admit, like, it's easy to have some boldness and confidence when people show up and they don't have to. But at your workplace, there's a level of hostility there towards the gospel. I understand that, and I get that, and I'm praying for you. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not you. <laughs> but can I tell you this? To be used by God as a witness to bring the gospel of grace to people, you will feel a level of fear. The apostle Paul felt it, and look what he says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I decided that while I was with you, at Google, at Reddit, at the SFUSD, at UCSF, I decided that while I was there, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. You know what that tells you? You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to have Jesus. And I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. This is Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's like, I was afraid when I went there to do my assignment, to do the work of God. I was afraid. And my message and my preaching were very plain. And rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, even the most spiritual of people, they have to overcome fear to be a witness for Jesus. And the only way you'll ever be able to do it is to, the, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel fear, listen to me, if you feel fear to integrate your witness with your work, fear that you'll lose your job, fear that you won't get the promotion, fear that people will start to ostracize you and separate themselves from you. If you have that fear, listen, that's a legitimate fear, but you cannot let that fear lead you or determine your witness. Paul didn't. He said, I feel the fear, but I'm stepping over it because I have an assignment to partner with God, to make disciples, to bring the gospel of Jesus to people. And I'll step over the fear to do it. And finally, in verse 10, in this story where Jesus says to Simon, he says, hey, don't be afraid. I underline this, these next three words. From now on, it's like a fresh start. From now on, you will fish for people, Simon. From now on, it's not going to be about fish anymore. It's not going to be about building an app anymore. It's not going to be just about a website anymore. It's not going to be about the medicine anymore. It's not, it's, it, from now on, your, your, your witness is going to affect your work. From now on, your work is actually going to be about people. It's going to be different. The way your perspective is going to change. And he goes on, he says, from now on, it's going to be about people. So they pulled their boats to shore and they left everything and they followed Jesus. Now, let me just say this from now on. For Peter, for Simon Peter and those guys, it was a career change. They dropped the nets, they cashed out, and they followed Jesus. For 99% of you, that's not the case. You don't need a career change. You just need to change the way you see your assignment. From now on, listen, you're not just a teacher. From now on, you're not just a developer. From now on, Listen, it's more than just those things that you, you clock in and you do. From now on, you're on assignment with God, partnering with him to reconcile people to God. From now on, from this moment forward, you have to see that, yeah, all those other things are important. And God wants you to be successful in all those other things. But those things are not the main thing. Those things, they work together with you reconciling people to Jesus and sharing your story with them. From now on, you will work differently. I love that. My big idea for this whole thing was this, and they'll put it on the screen for you. I want you to write it down. Your work affects your witness, and your witness affects your work. To, to summarize this whole thing, it's this, the way you work, what you produce, how you handle stress, how you treat people, etc. Listen, it all affects your witness, good or bad. Your ethic and your excellence, it plays a massive role in constructing or deconstructing your witness in your workplace. And we must remember that. The issue is influence. And God wants to expand your influence so you can expand his kingdom your work, it truly affects your witness. But your witness, it does affect your work, positively and negatively. The positive side of it is this, is that your witness, you need to know that your witness has power. Your witness is so much more influential than my witness. I, I don't work where you work, but you do. God has stationed you and positioned you there, and your witness is power, powerful. I think about Logan. I don't know where Logan's at. I think about Logan. He's one of our, our worship uh, guys in our worship team that he was working one job, and for a long time, he's inviting people from work, investing in the relationship and inviting people, and no one would come to church. No one. I remember talking with him about it. He's like, yeah, man, it's just not working. <laughs> it's not working. Invest, invest, invite, invite, invest, invest, invite. Goose egg, nothing, right? No one shows up. Then, he, then God brings him to a different job. He just switched locations, but he kept doing the same thing because he was a witness, he switched work, but he kept his witness. Doesn't mean he was perfect. We all know that. Hey, thank God for grace. But you are a witness at work. 
and he would invest, 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 invite, invite. People started coming, coming to church and starting experiencing this, this. And he's like, dude, it works. It's working. And he's been investing and inviting, and his witness is affecting his work. People are showing up to church. Maybe some of you are here today because of Logan. You should buy him lunch today. Okay. Hey. I think about Eric. Eric Flores. I don't know where you're at. Eric. I mean, he's, he's at a Christian school, but how many know that there's a lot of schools that are Christian by name, but not by nature? They ain't Christians there. They can be crazy. But he's there. God stationed him and planted him in that place to be a witness at his work. He's not there just to teach through curriculum. He's there to represent Jesus, to represent Jesus to students that need Jesus. I think about the amount of students that you've brought to our church on the weekend. That, and it's more than just coming to church. It's you investing your life in them and teaching them the gospel and discipling them and pouring your life into them. I think about how you have not separated your witness from your work. It's unbelievable. I could go on and on and on. I think about a guy, Rich, that used to be a part of our dream team. This guy was working at Tesla. Talk about an intimidating place to try to share your faith. He was working there. This dude's crazy. Rich is crazy, y'all. Listen, I'm just going to share his story and build your faith. This, he's standing by a guy. And this guy's like, man, I don't feel good. He named whatever it was that wasn't feeling well. Rich looks at him and goes, can I, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for God to heal you? Like, who does that? Can I pray? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. He prays for the guy. The guy gets healed. And then Rich goes, do you know Jesus? The guy's like, Jesus. Then he leads the guy to Jesus. Prays with the guy to receive Christ. Unbelievable. And guess what? Logan hasn't gotten fired. Rich hasn't gotten fired. Eric hasn't gotten fired yet. I'm kidding. <laughs> In a positive way, God can use your witness at your work. But I want to I be just as, as real as I can be with you. It could also negatively influence or negatively impact your work. Your vocation, using your voice there, trying to steward it for God. Listen, I can't promise you that it's going to work out great. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving Siri that revelation. Jesus said in Matthew 10, I won't read all of it, but he said this. When he sent out his disciples to go and to do what I'm telling you to do, to go be a witness, he says, guys, in verse 22, Matthew 10, he says, you can expect to be hated. I'm just going to be real with you. People may not like you being a witness for Jesus. He says, you can expect to be hated because of my name. He says, when they persecute you, not if, when, when they persecute you in one town, flee to another, go to another job. He says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. He goes on and on and on. He's like, guys, don't be, here's the point he's saying, don't be surprised. They did it to me. They put me on a cross. Welcome to the party. That's what Jesus is saying to him. It's not going to be easy to be a witness for me, he's saying. This is the gospel. This is the kingdom integrating your witness in your work, it will be a challenge. But by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, you can do it. You can be used by God as a partner reconciling people to him. And he goes on in verse 32. I'll read just this one verse out of chapter 10 in Matthew. He says, guys, I want you to remember this one. If you openly and publicly acknowledge me, I will freely and openly acknowledge you before my heavenly Father. But if you publicly deny me, deny that you know me, I will also deny you before my heavenly father. That's heavy. I don't even know why I'm finishing with this verse. I wanted to finish with something nice. Here's what I want you and I to do. And I want you to say this if you mean it. You don't, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. But here's what I'm asking you to consider. 
I'm asking you to consider committing to being a witness at your work for Jesus. Because as we sang earlier, we need a move of God in our city. We need a move. We need that. You know what? You are the move. God wants to move through you. Like God's not just going to show up in a robe and like a lightning bolt at, at your work. He ain't. You're the move. Don't wait on him to move. You're the move. In our workplace, as a witness, we become the move. And so put this, can you put the commitment on the screen up there? This is what I, I, I want us to do today. Today I commit that from now on. So if you haven't before, it's all good. His mercy is new every day. His grace is sufficient. Fresh start, new beginning. That's what I love about God. Fresh start from now on. Today I commit that from now on, I will be a witness in my workplace for Jesus. Listen, I don't want you to say this if you don't mean it. I don't want you to say this if you're like, I I have no no intention at all to do this. But if you say today, I want to be, I want to partner with God. I want to be used by God. I want us, this is the prayer. This is what I want us to pray. So would you say this with me? If, if you mean this, if you want this, will you say this? We'll say it twice just because I know that sometimes the cadence and the rhythm is off and it sounds weird the first time. So let's do it. One, two, three. Today I commit that from now on, I will be a witness in my workplace for Jesus. Come on, one more time. Today, I commit that from now on, I will be a witness in my workplace for Jesus. Today, from now on. Imagine the impact we could all make if we took this seriously. Imagine how many people we could reach in San Francisco and the Bay Area with the hope of Jesus if we did, if we integrated our witness and our work together. Imagine how Simon felt that day in the boat with Jesus as Jesus used his profession as a platform to get grace to people. Imagine what that would feel like at your workplace to partner with Jesus to rescue and to redeem mankind. Imagine your profession being used as a platform for reaching people with the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Imagine those people that you work with right now. Let their face be in the forefront of your mind. Those people that you work with day in and day out, imagine partnering with God to help them come to find Jesus, to know God, to find freedom, to discover their life's purpose and to make a difference. Imagine them finding healing and restoration and peace and purpose and all those things, what they were made for, all because you said yes to being a witness in your workplace. Imagine standing before God one day, because you will, and giving an account for the voice and the vocation that he entrusted to you. Imagine standing before him with confidence because you did your, your very best to influence the people that you work side by side with towards your relationship with Jesus. You see, my prayer is that you and I, we will be found faithful as a witness in our workplace. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.